0: Father, thank you for this, your word. I pray for your blessing over this message and that you would encourage our hearts as we look at it uh, and what it has to say to our lives today. And Father, that you would do that deep work of holiness in us, changing us and renewing us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A while back, my barber was sick, and so I decided to try a different barber shop. And as I was waiting for my turn, I noticed that um, on the wall behind his chair there, he had a little shelf, this barber, and he had all these kind of different items on there. He had a crucifix, he had a statue of Mary, he had a couple of uh, Buddha statues. Uh, While I was waiting, he was also talking to another customer about how he loved to burn sage in the morning to cleanse his shop of evil spirits, that's a a Native American practice called smudging. On the wall, he also had uh, this symbol. This is the Taoist symbol of the yin-yang, and uh, you've probably seen it out in popular culture now in the United States. Many times you'll see it as a tattoo, or perhaps you've seen it uh, on a bumper sticker. Uh, There's a word, coexist. Uh, that talks about all the different religions and is giving this message that we all need to just get along. And this is the O in coexist there. And uh, the yin-yang, if you uh, just notice here, there's two different parts of it. There's the darker part and then there's the whiter part here. But the darker part has a a light dot in it and the white part has um, a darker dot in it. And so the message that they're trying to portray with this symbol is that Even in the midst of the greatest darkness or evil, there is some good or some light. And even in the midst of the most righteous of acts, uh, there is some darkness or evil. And this is the very message, actually, that's promoted in the Star Wars films and books. Uh, The Force is uh, something that you can tap into. It's something that you can use for good or for evil, but it's actually fairly neutral. And even in the worst acts, there's still some good. And even in the seemingly most righteous acts, uh, there's some evil. And so back to our uh, barber friend here. What was he doing by having all of these symbols and practices that he was doing at his barber shop there? Well, I can't know for certain, but because I'm not a mind reader and I don't know what his motives of his heart are, but I believe what he was doing was he was hedging his bets. He didn't want to put all his eggs in one religious basket, because what if the Buddhists are right? I should probably pay homage to Buddha somehow. Or what if the Catholics are right? I should probably have a statue of Mary there. Or what if the Native Americans are right? I should probably give a nod to the Great Spirit. And so on it goes. And this is a common train of thought in today's culture, covering all the bases. But the question is, does it actually work? Does it help you when you stand before God at the end of your life, if you've covered all the bases? Well, for those who believe that God has revealed Himself through this book that we call the Bible, there is a specific and clear answer to that question. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, Uh, as a part of that book that we call the Bible here, we see that God desires for his people to be holy. He commands them to be set apart, to be sinless. In other words, to be completely without defect and perfect. And so if this is true, then all the other religions are not going to help this barber. In fact, they will be a detriment to him. Only the way that is set forth in Scripture will accomplish what needs to be done in order to put us in right standing with a holy God. But even within the Bible, there are two separate ways to approach holiness. One is in the Old Testament mainly, and it didn't work. And the other one is mainly in the New Testament, and it did work. So let's look, first of all, at Old Testament holiness. And I want you to notice what God's requirement was for His chosen people. It's somewhat encapsulated in the verses that are around the one that Danny just read. And I'm going to look at two different things here. First of all, I want to look at the acceptable life that was supposed to be lived by the people of Israel. First of all, we see in verse 22 of Leviticus 20, it says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them. And so, first of all, they needed to do all the things that God had told them to do. Now, some people might think, Well, that's not so bad. You know, it's just the Ten Commandments, right? I can keep the Ten Commandments, can't I? But actually, there were 613 laws that governed everything from raising your children to how to go to the bathroom. And to top it off, in order to live the perfect life, you couldn't even break a law by accident. How many of you have been driving along and you know the speed limit, you intend to keep it, but as your mind wanders, you look down and you notice that you've exceeded the speed limit, right? You've broken the law in that instance, and if the police pulled you over in that moment, and you stood before a judge, you wouldn't have a leg to stand on. You broke the law, even though it was accidental. But let's take it a step further. You know the speed limit, and you're gonna gamble a little bit, right? I've heard it said that if you don't exceed 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, they're not gonna pull you over, right? And so maybe you'll go 72 in a 65. Take your chances, right? And all of us have done that in certain areas of our lives. (laughs) We've taken a chance. Maybe we won't get caught. Maybe we'll fudge it just a little bit, right? And so imagine trying to toe the line in every single area of your life, all 613 of these laws, keeping them perfectly, not having to break one by accident. And so regarding this acceptable way of living, God tells Israel in the next verse that they were not to walk in the ways and the customs of the nations around them. We see this in verse 21. He says, I'm driving them out before you. Don't walk in their ways, in their customs. And so God wanted Israel for his own. Our barber friend here, he would find himself in grave danger because he's dabbling in multiple religions. If one religion is good, well, many must be better, right? We'll just give a nod to all the different religions. Another way God's chosen people needed to remain perfect in their relationship with God was they were to be careful not to partake of or touch anything that was unclean. And this is the basis for the kosher laws that we see today in practicing Jews. And so they still do this. They cleanse their whole kitchen. They can't touch certain things at certain seasons. And this is much harder than you would think Back in California, at our old church, we had a a family that attended now and then called the Cammerzals. And the Camerzals' oldest daughter, Darla, had a very severe peanut allergy. So much so that if she even came close or touched something that had touched a peanut, she could have an anaphylactic reaction and go into shock and perhaps even die if she, uh, she wasn't treated immediately. And so they gave her this service dog. This service dog had been trained to detect peanuts and would do some kind of warning. I think uh, the dog would actually walk in front of her and guard her and protect her from going to a place where there was peanuts. But even with that, she still accidentally touched peanuts now and then and had to go to the hospital. Here, the Jewish people, they don't have a service dog that tells them what's off-limits and what's not. Right? And so... They're at their own mercy to try to figure out how to do this, how not to touch, for instance, a dead animal, how not to eat certain things, how not to touch something that's unclean. And so this was the reason, for instance, in the story that Jesus talked about, where he talked about the Good Samaritan, one of the reasons that those two religious people passed by on the other side was they thought, that guy might be dead. I don't want to touch him and become unclean. Another way in which they were supposed to live this righteous and holy life was that they were to not become or interact with what's called a medium or a necromancer. A medium is somebody that tries to connect with the dead in order to learn things about this life. We see this in things like seances or palm readings or uh, Ouija boards, right? What you're doing in those instances is you're trying to reach out to a spirit. And by the way, the Bible indicates that those are real. Saul was actually uh, trying to get um, some information about a battle, and they actually raised Samuel from the dead, well, his spirit, using a medium. And Samuel came and basically rebuked him for doing what he was doing, first of all. And so this is a fascination that our culture has. Did you know that in Hollywood, since 1950, there have been over 240 movies about interacting with the dead? A great fascination. We call them ghosts, right? And the principle is still the same. An unhealthy fascination with trying to contact the spirit world. And God told them they were not to do this. And so, obviously, no one in all of Israel was able to live up to all these requirements that it took to be completely holy before God. And so this is why he instituted the sacrificial system. Blood needed to be spilled to pay for the sins of the people because they were making mistakes. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that, "...indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood." And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But it couldn't just be any old blood, right? Roadkill or something like that. No, it had to be a specific kind of animal, a specific kind of clean animal. Couldn't be received from a foreigner. Had to be your own, right? And they had to kill it in a very specific way in order for it to work. And it was only temporary. You had to keep coming back over and over again. And I imagine somebody got tired of that. Eh, ah, I'll skip this week, right? Don't let you skip church. Ah, I'll skip church this week. I went last week. No, you had to do it every week without fail and continue to do that. And that would be hard enough for an individual to do, right? But God was judging the nation. An entire nation had to do this and live in holiness in order for them to not come under the wrath Of God in those moments and I was thinking about what would that feel like in those days I think it would feel like madness I think it would feel like insanity having to do something being commanded to do something and knowing that you couldn't knowing you didn't have it within you in order to fulfill God's laws and so If that were the end of the story, it'd be pretty depressing. But now we have the New Testament. And in fact, those in the Old Testament were looking forward to the promise that there would be a different way, that things wouldn't always be that way. There would be a different kind of holiness that would come to God's people. And so God fulfilled that sacrificial requirement in his son Jesus, coming in the form of a baby and growing up and then dying for our sins. But in the New Testament, Peter actually quotes this passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 20, 26. Here it says, be holy as I am holy. And so even in the New Testament, God is commanding his people to be holy, set apart, doing the right things, following God's laws. And so how are we supposed to accomplish this? They couldn't do it in the Old Testament. Now how are we supposed to do it? especially in a day and age when all of this is against us. And thankfully, there are some scriptures that give us insight into this challenge. Paul's writing in Romans to the new Christians there, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so in this passage, there's a huge clue As to the new way, he says you will accomplish it by the mercies of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit coming upon them like we do now in the New Testament. That's what Pentecost was all about. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came upon the new church and began to dwell in the hearts and the lives of people. The mercy of God there to help them. Back in the Old Testament, it was sheer willpower. And some people have better willpower than others, right? Some people accomplished it better than others. Just like today, you may have more willpower than I do in order to fulfill a diet or an exercise program or whatever it might be. But they had to do it in their own flesh. And so, some have been known to push their bodies beyond the limits of human capability. But Psalm 73, 26 here, David cries out, My flesh and my blood may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our flesh and blood fails. We fail time and time again because we're dealing with the sin nature. And it's only when we are found in him that we can be holy. Back this spring, I I do a Bible time with the preschool kids once a month. And so I came in for my Bible time, and I had all the little three- and four-year-olds in here, and I was talking to them, and I said, okay, um, I need some volunteers. But not just any old volunteer, I want volunteers with special abilities. Kids that can, like, jump high or super strong, have great intelligence, and so they're all raising their hands, and I had, like, four or five of them come up here, and I said, okay, now here's our job. We're gonna clean the lens up on that projector there. It's, like, 15 feet up in the air. And so, what's your special ability? How are you going to do it? And they went down the list. One could jump four inches off the ground and, you know, whatever. And so, they were going to do this. And so, they tried, you know, to figure out how they were going to get up there. And I said, okay, pretty impossible, right? But what if we had a superhero come? What superhero would you like to have come and help us? And they wanted Superman or Spider-Man to swing from the rafters or whatever like that. And I said, you know, there's an interesting uh, superhero called Iron Man. And he doesn't really have any special abilities. You know, he can't fly. He can't. What he has is he has a supersuit. He has a suit that he's designed that can do all these things. They can resist great heat. They can shoot weapons. It makes him fly. All of these things that he can do. And so he has covered himself with something that can make him do things that he couldn't do otherwise. And so, this relates to the life of holiness for us. In and of ourselves, we are nothing. We can't do anything. We can maybe do things by sheer willpower a little bit, but we can't live the holy life. And if so, when we put on Christ, we put Him on, and He begins to work out that holy life within us. He begins to help us do the things that we knew were impossible before. Paul commands this in Romans 13, 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. That's how you (laughs) don't make provision for the flesh, is you put on Jesus. Okay? Because of the holy life that Jesus lived, he gives us the power in order to resist the devil. And this is the armor of God that it talks about in Ephesians 6. That's how you defend against the devil's schemes. And do you know many things can go wrong for Iron Man? His suit can malfunction or whatever. But do you know the biggest problem that Iron Man has? Himself. He's a ding He's an alcoholic. He's a womanizer. All these things were his main problem. That was his main downfall. And so we have hindrances in our lives as well that prevent us from living the holy life, that prevent us from putting on Christ. Paul lays it before us when he says, be clothed in Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And so when I listen to my flesh and the things that it wants me to do, then I don't listen to Christ. I'm not putting on Christ in that moment. I'm not thinking of the things of Christ. I'm focused on the things that I want to do. And when Iron Man takes off his suit, he's just as vulnerable as you and me. Wrapping up this morning, the biggest mystery in all of this is how do we stay clothed in Christ? How do we do that? How do we not make provision for the flesh and walk in it? It's so cliche, but it's the simple way trust in Jesus, trusting in Him, not trusting in yourself. Not trusting in your flesh. Fixing our eyes on Him rather than our circumstance, rather than the thing that we're going through, rather than the thing that we want to do that makes us feel better. And the more I focus on Him, do you know what happens? The shallower all this stuff becomes. I don't really want it as much as I wanted it before when I'm fixed on the Lord, when I'm focused on Him. You know, many people, like my barber friend, he treats religion like clothing. "Eh, I tried that one, didn't really fit, I'll try this one, I'll switch around. And they want to present themselves for different circumstances in different ways, like we do for, you know, wear something different for prom or a wedding than you do, you know, at the beach. And so they switch things out. But altered appearances will not help you when you stand before the God of the universe. The only clothing that will do is the clothing of Christ putting him on and he will shield you from the wrath of God he will shield you from all the things that we deserve as human beings because of the sin that's in us and the things that we've done and so I encourage you this morning look to the scriptures and find out what the true religion is so many of us dabble in things we don't really understand you know we went to the um, Every single shop I think that we went through that was a gift shop, they're like, Yeah, we'll sell Jesus and we'll also sell your Buddha over here and you know whatever, you know, Taoist symbol you want. I mean, it's just a it's a marketing ploy for them. But we have to remain pure in what we believe in. We don't want to hedge our bets. We won't want to try to cover, put all your eggs in this basket, and it will not fail you. It will not let you down. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this uh, message of hope that we have in you, that we don't have to do it on our own, but that you have done the work for us and that we can trust in you and uh, you will desire to sanctify us and give us the things that we need in order to do that. And so Lord, we lift all this up in Jesus' name, amen. i just also like to encourage you, by the way, this is a short message, 20 minutes is, is not adequate time to cover all of the stuff around, you know, other religions. So perhaps you've had interactions with other religions or the occult or whatever it might be and you have deeper questions about this, please email me, call me. I'd love to sit down with you for an hour or two and just work through some of these issues in a deeper way. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.